This is the Anderson Business Advisors Podcast, the show for real estate investors, stock traders, and business owners. We help you keep more of what you earn and protect what you've built. Let's get started. Hey guys, this is Toby Mathis, and you're listening to the Anderson Podcast. And I've got a really good guest on today, somebody I, I, I work with quite a lot, actually, uh, Aaron Adams. So I just want to say first off, hey, Aaron, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be here. And uh, we're going to just like a laser beam, just go straight into the market conditions before we do that. And, and basically what's working, that's the most important thing for most people. It's like, hey, that's great that uh, you're talking about the market and whether it's you know overheating, whether it's crashing, whether whatever it's doing, but what actually works right now. So we're, we're going we're gonna to zero in on that. But before we do, I got to tell you a little bit about Aaron because I worked with Aaron for years in the same circles, we worked together on a project called Infinity Investing. And uh, Aaron, what do you got? Three, over 3,000 properties that you guys manage now? Yeah, we do. Yeah, everything from trailer parks to single family homes, apartment complexes, you name it. We're, if it pays rent, we're collecting it. Yeah, and, and, and Aaron's group, uh, Alpine, I'll say Alpine Solutions, uh, Capital Solutions, Aaron's group goes out and buys the properties, wholesales the properties, does the stuff that you should actually be doing. We'll show you how to, to learn. You could actually walk side by side with them, or you can just be using them as a resource, or you can be doing your own thing. Like it's a free world. What we're going to do is talk about what's working for us and what Aaron, what Aaron says is working for him. I could, I could share what's working for me, but really it's, this is going to be about Aaron today and his group because they're a larger real estate firm. So with that, Aaron, I'm just going to ask you real simple, kind of like a what got you into real estate, five minutes or less, just kind of like what was the journey that brought you here? And then we'll dive right into the current market conditions. So, um, you know, 22 years ago, I was uh, teaching and uh, coaching in Southern California. I had a very entrepreneurial father. I don't know. He's probably a little bit disappointed that I went the the, the non-business route. But you know, once you kind of have entrepreneurship in your head, and those of you listening know that this is the case and, and business ownership, you can't shake that. And so while I loved my job, my W-2 job as a teacher, as a high school teacher in California, and I just love coaching uh, high school kids, um, I wanted extra money. I wanted more. So I found myself uh, getting a, an MBA, an executive MBA nights and weekends. And, and then uh, I started uh, reading books and attending real estate seminars on the weekends. And, you know, the first year while teaching, I made an additional 50000 bucks on top of my salary from one flip that I did. The second year, I flipped a couple of properties and made it uh, almost almost triple that. Uh, by the fourth year of teaching, I made over $400,000 buying and selling properties in Riverside County and, and went into the principal. I said, man, the only thing I can do next year is coach. I can't justify the classroom uh, teaching anymore. And so that started a journey of, of real estate. Now, the fact that I was a high school Spanish teacher was huge because I was able to really capitalize on labor and construction and build a crew using that language. Spanish sometimes when you're doing real estate. Uh, yeah, big, big time. But I really, you know, I, I did cap valuations. And those of you that are familiar with cap rate, you know, I, I literally watched California zoom up in price from 2000 to 2004. In fact, Riverside County was the hottest market in America. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was buying properties in 2000 for 12 cap, and those same properties were selling for five cap in 2004. And I realized I need, if I if I was going to be a cap rate focused investor, I needed to look at other markets. And my dad was originally from the Midwest, and so January 2005, I started 
Alpine Property Management, Indianapolis. And that to this day is our biggest market. We have over 1,500 doors under management. We have Airbnbs, apartments, uh, RV parks, modular home developments. So it's a huge operation. When the market crashed in 2008, all of a sudden I started getting calls from Singaporeans and Chinese investors and Japanese investors saying, we want U.S. properties and we want U.S. dollars. And cap rate became good everywhere again. And so in 2009, you could you could buy 12 cap rentals in Vegas that had sold new construction in 2006. And so mm-hmm. we set we set up Alpine property managements in Vegas, Orlando, Dallas, Kansas City, initially to sell rentals to international investors who wanted us to manage them for them on the back end. When Wall Street got, got, got in the game in 2012, they became another big client for us as they've bought up 5% of the single family homes in America. And so we have a pretty pretty good mix now of um, clients that Toby and I work with that that are our clients that we that that want cash flow property that want turnkey investing, and and we sell a lot of properties to them. And then we still have some Wall Street guys that we that we sell to, and some international investors. We've kind of cut off the spigot to them because we literally can't get enough inventory. I could sell 150 properties a month if I had them, but it's just hard to you know we're in a we're in a seller's market and and it's tough to get inventory. Now, uh, you've you mentioned a couple of things, and I'm going to put a, put a tip on one of these things. You, you keep mentioning cap rate. To somebody who's not familiar with real estate, how would you explain? Because a lot of people are used to what the realtor would tell them. Hey, you know, the yeah. house down the street sold for 200 bucks a foot, so you know, your house is worth X. What do investors use, and what is cap rate? So if I was looking at buying a, a house for $100,000, Without a mortgage, because you don't use you don't calculate debt into cap rate. So I said, if I buy this house for hundred thousand, twelve months from now, after paying for taxes, management, insurance, maintenance, vacancy, maybe the house brings in a thousand a month. So I it, my gross return would be twelve percent. But after I pay for those expenses, I'll probably only have seven or eight thousand in my bank account. Mm-hmm. The capitalization just means the rent money coming in. And so if uh, I buy a house that's an eight cap, then after those five expenses. I can reasonably expect on a hundred thousand dollar investment to have eight grand sitting in my my uh, business account for that house, and and then we would say that's capitalized at a rate of eight percent, or it's an eight cap. That's the way that they say it. Yep. So it's the net income on a property. It's that's a, exactly what it is. After all the expenses. Yep. Let's jump into what's going on now because everybody's read. You know, you, you, unless you don't have a, uh, you're, you're living under a rock. Yeah. You realize that people are talking about a crashing real estate market. You have a lot of this, it's going to crash. It's going to be like 2008. Oh my God. You know, the, it's twice as expensive to buy the median home now because the interest rates have all jumped up all that stuff. What is real? What is fake? What are you guys doing about it? Well, you know, we, we've seen 97 of the nation's hundred largest markets have seen some pullback in that highest end. San Jose uh, has seen the sharpest decline in home prices at 13%, followed by San Francisco. We call those markets nonlinear. And if you look back at at housing prices in San Francisco is an extreme nonlinear market, absolutely over the last 150 years, it goes like this, right? You'll have a five-year period where homes double in price and then they go down by uh, 50%. And so Southeast and, and, and Midwest are seeing a modest decline. Uh, the Midwest has been very resilient, and that's one of the reasons why we're so heavily focused on the Midwest. We have Alpines in Kansas City, Indianapolis, uh, even in the in the Midwest South in, in North Carolina, um, because they've been very resilient. And, and, and the economics behind this are really what's been overbuilt and where did builders really get greedy 
on on what on, on those custom homes and those in those upper middle class housing divisions. So yeah, we're definitely seeing uh, some pullback in term, with interest rates going up. But all it's really a function of the fact that when you buy a house, you have to qualify with your credit. You have to have the down payment, but you have to have a debt to income ratio that qualifies. Meaning they look at how much that mortgage is going to be, and then they tell you how much you can qualify for. And for a lot of people with interest rates going from two point eight percent for the 30-year fixed a year ago to now uh, 7%, they don't qualify for 800000 anymore. They qualify for 725 And so that's hurting builders. Those guys are getting screwed right now. But but the fundamentals behind it is we're, we're short 4 million uh, or so housing units in this country. We've been underbuilding the market since the last crash for the last 14 years. And so uh, prices may soften at the top end, but that starter home, that blue collar segment is as robust as it ever was. So you just hit on a few things there. You just said we're underbuilt by about 4 million units in the United States. What is the number that that we need to be building on an annual basis to keep up with population growth and properties that fall off? Like there's properties that have to be demoed that no longer are habitable. What's that number? So when you look back to 1980, it's really kind of been the same number. We need to build 1.7 million new housing units every year just to keep up. Uh, you have population growth, uh, you have birth rate, and, and, and now our Gen Zs and our millennials are starting to think about buying homes. And then you have functional obsolescence and homes that get torn down and, and go away. And so if we don't build 1.7 million new homes, and so what's interesting, even in 2021 with the, the low interest rates, there mm-hmm. were 1.7 million housing permits pulled, but we didn't even finish it. And that's the closest that we've come since 2007, which is the last time we built that number. I'm looking at it right now. I'm looking at the uh, new housing starts annual rate, and that's the housing starts, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, in 2021, it was 1.637. In 2022, it was 1.6. But before that, it was like 1.3, 1.2, 1. 1.1. We went below a million in 2014 and 2013. 2012 was in the toilet. It was 600,000, yeah. 500,000. Like, 2007 was the last year where we were at 1.7. We we're actually keeping up with it. And uh, the only reason I'm bringing that up is because you know, I'm looking at the numbers going, wow, how do we get 4 million units behind? Well, this is how you do it. You make the environment so nasty for new builders that they don't want to do it or they can't keep up. Yeah, that's really what it's been. Now, a couple of, you know, just this weekend, we had our summit out in Indianapolis and we host a live event for investors. And mm-hmm. somebody raised their hand. They said, well, what about the silver tsunami? What about the fact that a third of the housing market is owned by our 55 and olders? What if they all sell? I'm like, well, as a landlord, as an investor, I would love that because then somebody's going to need to rent that, you know, have rentals. We don't have that. We don't have anything close to that. Right. I'd love to develop 55 and older parks uh, (laughs) for them. Um, And and so, yeah, maybe in, in a vacuum, if you look at that, that would plug that gap. But what you're what you forget is look look at in the Sun Belt. We have all these 55 and older communities. Millennials and Gen Z and Gen X don't want to live in the same kind of housing that their boomer parents are wanting to live in. And so I think we would have, you know, they don't like the McMansions. They're more focused towards Metro and minimalization are popular trends with them and tiny home spaces. So, so you know, I, I'm like, it's not really realistic in the first place. And it's not really an argument in the second place, because to answer your question, yes, it would fill the void. But that, that yes would assume that they want those houses and that yes would assume the boomers are going to do anything like that. I just don't see that happening. And if that yes were to occur, it brings up a great point. Whenever there's money in motion, 
in the real estate market. And there's always been money in the motion. You may need you to change the ladle that you dip in the river to pull your, your share of it out. But there's always opportunity to make money because money in motion creates opportunities for you to insert yourself and pull your share away from that. All right. So where are you inserting yourself right now? Where, what are the opportunities that you're taking advantage of in the, in the real estate market, you and your investors? So we've been crushing it in manufactured housing, mobile home parks, modular homes, those factory built, you know, rectangles where they build one half and then they ship them out on trailers. It doesn't matter if it's a trailer or a manufactured home or a modular home on a permanent foundation. We've been, we've been buying land and putting them in park and putting them on lots and selling them. We've been buying old parks and filling them with new ones. We've been flipping uh, trailers in existing parks. It's a massive opportunity that for years you had city councilors like, yeah, we want to get rid of the trailer parks in our community. Not anymore. They're like open arms. We need affordable housing because the segment of the four million that we're short that's really just annihilated is affordable housing. That's where we're getting getting killed. You can't build a property and make it profitable if you're getting seven hundred bucks a month in rent on it. I mean, or, or, or even worse, you know. Figure that some of these folks are to be not uh, housing burdened. You're, you're talking about four or five hundred bucks a, a month is what they can afford. There's no contractor out there that can build and make that pencil. So you're coming up with 3D homes, manufactured homes. You're trying to drive the price of building because it's skyrocketed, especially during the pandemic. You're trying to find inexpensive housing ways to come up with it. I mean, California is now going to allow ADUs all over the place. I talked to a guy who's putting 10 ADUs on a lot. And I was like, what what are the average rents? And he was like, oh, you know, 2,000, 2,500. Yeah, there's yeah. no there's no affordable housing. Like again, you like you you and I couldn't just build something, you know, there it's California is a whole other world. It's like a different planet sometimes, but it just to make just to cover the basics of housing without having mass homelessness. It's nasty. What what other way? So you have manufactured homes is, mm-hmm. is one. What what else are you guys doing? You mentioned ADUs, and I would lump ADUs also in with short-term rentals. Short-term rentals are phenomenal. In fact, um Right now, I was just reading on uh, airdna.co, airdna.co, which is a great website for, for short-term rentals. We're at 20% over the occupancy that we saw pre-COVID in 2019. And to me, watching us go to all of my Airbnbs sat empty in 2020 and maybe 15 20% in 2021 to be 100% back plus, short-term rentals are just on fire. And the people that wrote out, the 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 COVID and that downturn with short-term rentals now have very little competition because it's so expensive to get back in. So in Indianapolis downtown in 2018, you could buy a really cool house near the convention center for 150,000 and and get 2,500 a month as uh, on Airbnb. That same house now is 350, and you're still only looking at like 2,500 a month, and so it just doesn't pencil as well. So you have people that have left the space. But there's that much more demand for it. Uh, so short-term rentals is insane. A, uh, accessory dwelling units are becoming huge. And, and a lot of different states and cities are watching how that's going uh, in California, for example, and saying, you know, we, we need to consider changing zoning and eliminating single-family designation neighborhoods and let everybody put a trailer or a tiny home in their backyard and rent it out. And that's a massive trend that, that fits both short-term rentals and manufactured and, and mobile and housing because both of those coexist in that same space. 
Yeah, absolutely. Now, now you're letting people actually fix the problem instead of putting the handcuffs on them and keep them from being able to do it. What else? So we have manufactured, you have the Airbnbs. Is, are there, is there anything else that you guys are doing right now that seems to be working? And then I'm going to ask you for your predictions on this housing market, just to get your crystal ball out. So um, right now you have the only good deals that you can find are off market. And so, uh, you know, we used to send out letters. You probably, some of you probably received a letter. Hey, I want to buy your house. And then maybe you've received postcards. And uh, over the last 24 months, texting has become huge. And so we've been sending out 15,000 text messages a day. Hey, um, interested in buying your property. And the reason we've been doing that is because we've been getting over 100 properties a month across all of our markets. That's Charlotte, Kansas City, Indianapolis, Idaho. Some of those deals we divert towards our monthly live events where investors can buy property from us. Mm-hmm. But I would say 40% of them, we immediately assign that contract. So just to give you an example, I got a house in Indianapolis under contract for 180000 last month. And uh, if I would have kept it as a rental, it would have been like a five cap. Mm-hmm. Now, we only sell six, seven, and eight caps to our clients. So that wasn't going to work. But I knew a Wall Street fund that's buying at four cap. And somebody said to me, why would Wall Street buy four cap? Well, when when they borrow money at 1.7% APR a year, you know, know, if you buy for a a house for a hundred thousand or, you know, you only have to pay the lender $1,700 and uh, you're bringing in 4,000 net, there's still nice cash flow there. Plus, there's a very good chance Indianapolis is going to go up 5 to 10% over the next 12 months. And that's that's why Wall Street is still buying homes. And so wholesaling, a lot of times this was considered this like downgraded strategy. But we love it because there's just so many international and institutional investors that want single-family homes and want multifamily and, and trailer parks in a way that we've never seen before. So that's another really good strategy. Because we're in a climate where not, there's no good deals that come on the market. You got to go pound the pavement. And then anybody that's willing to do that... Uh, can they learn that stuff from you, by the way? Yeah, we actually teach uh, at, uh, at Infinity. We teach how to get into mobile home and manufactured space. We, every month we've had investors coming out to our operation here in Idaho to put eyes on the operation and get trained on that. We have investors who we're helping then set up those text campaigns and to use a customer relationship management software, or CRM, to do that. And then we let investors come out to our big Airbnb operation in Indianapolis and learn uh, how how the right way to be a super host is what you should spend and not spend on. And when they throw up on your couch, how do you uh, go after them using Airbnb? So uh, there's a there's a learning curve to making the money, but there's just so much opportunity. And in 22 years in this game, I've never been as excited about the prospects of being a landlord and and, and making money with the strategies that we're using on the active side. Yeah, people who think that the affordability crisis means the market's going to just completely topple. This is going to be a learning lesson of what it means to have a mass chunk of the population become renters again and why you want to not be on that. Like you could be a renter, but you still want to be a landlord, right? You could be running your main house and be a landlord and other things, but you definitely want to be a landlord. All right. So what's going to happen to the real estate market? Get out your crystal ball. Is the Fed going to break everything? Is the inter- Are the interest rates going to continue to skyrocket toward 18%? What, what do you think is going to happen? I definitely think that, you know, I, I, I kind of whenever the Fed speaks, I keep an eye on the Fed. The Fed is frustrated that inflation hasn't slowed as much as they hoped. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, going into fourth quarter of 22, uh, everything points to in- increased uh, rates. And I think we, I think we could easily see 8 or 9% uh, APRs before this thing falls. 
But what I love is I was just literally reading this morning that they look at, they call it core inflation. And so they take fuel out, right? They take food out. And and the core number for that inflation is rent. Rents have gone up. And so that just makes me laugh because, yeah, there's some markets like California, Nevada, and Florida that are relatively unaffordable. But there's just so many affordable markets where you can buy six, seven, eight, nine cap deals. And as long as that stays the case, then as an investor, I don't worry about it. You know, it's kind of like I don't really worry about who the president is because Republican or Democrat, nobody really wants to hurt housing and uh, they have different ways they want to help it. And so as an, as an investor, I have to understand that, but I don't get swept up in left and right politics as a business owner because there's always massive opportunity. And so it's, it's like I have this tool belt with 20 different strategies. For example, I could see tax sales and foreclosure sales coming back with a vengeance. We just added a tax lien class to our infinity portal because that's a strategy I haven't used for five or six years. But now all the free money and all the moratoriums are falling away. And, and we've had a false foreclosure rate for about three years now. I could see a huge little wave uh, going into 23 where tax sales, foreclosure sales become good. And so, you know, I don't see us digging out of this affordability of this lack of homes anytime soon, unless uh, cities and states and Washington make some big changes with lending and with what they'll allow from a zoning standpoint. But but we're very well positioned with manufactured and mobile to to whatever they decide to, to, to move in and capitalize in that space. And I think, you know, your clients and my clients have really, they like the frontline benefit because, you know, 99.9% of my, my money comes from rent that I collect on my rentals and from deals that I buy and sell actively. And so when you're a, a real estate first company like we are, then they, it, you know at any given time, we're like, hey, here's what, here's what it, the hot strategies are and here's what we see coming up. And when that changes, you know, not only will, will we let you know, but we'll show you how we're making money in it. All right. Is this the downturn? And I'm sure you hear the same thing I do. You get people comparing it to 2008. Do these things look like, does one look like the other? Is this something that's going to repeat history or are we in something different here? Yeah, it's different because we had subprime mortgages where you had a bunch of liar loans and people had borrowed money they had no business borrowing that they couldn't afford to borrow and that they shouldn't have been given that money in the first place because their credit scores, you know, when you're, when you could borrow 200,000 bucks with 600 credit, that's a problem, right? <laughs> it's just a recipe for disaster. So that, that doesn't exist. We were overbuilt for the last crash. We're underbuilt this time around. And the biggest thing is that international investors and Wall Street investors were not the buying force in any way, shape, or form for the previous 100 years. If markets start to soften, those guys already know how to go to auction. They will be at the auction buying the deals. And yep. that will then that becomes like a, a, a prop that will hold markets up. I just I, I wish I could. I, I loved 2009. 2009 was the first year I made a million dollars as a real estate investor in one year. And I've never not made that. a lot of pain to turn up on people though. That's a lot of pain to start cranking on folks. Yeah. I don't think I just don't see that. I I, I look at it myself too. And I, and I know you and I look at a lot of some some of the similar data points, but you got an average of about $200,000 of equity. I think it went up to 220 before the interest rates got jacked up. So that if let's just say, you know, a five to 10% adjustment, you're still at $200,000 of equity on average that people have in our property. So this isn't where they're upside down on their home. I just, I just no. don't. And what's great is now they can't, they can't grab the money. You know, these cash out refis have been a plague for the last 10 years. 
And these high interest rates are making people go, uh, maybe I'm not going to do a cash out refi. <laughs> yes. It's funny. It's like, it's like if you have a lower interest rate loan, you don't want to sell your house now. No. And, and that, again, subject two is going to be red hot. And that's another strategy we teach. I think. That's going to be interesting. I actually, uh, yeah, I, I don't want to get into all the stuff that we did during that, uh, when, when everything went nuts. But yeah, if you have a good low interest loan, all of a sudden it becomes a, a, a selling point if somebody can actually take it over. Absolutely. Uh, and there's ways to do that. Any parting words, any words of wisdom, anything that you're going to say like, hey, uh, check my video out from a year ago. Like, so a year from now, you're going to be really proud that you yeah. said something. You know, uh, every, we had some, we had some clients at our, at our summit last weekend that had, had come to uh, Indianapolis eight years ago and they bought 10 cap properties from me for 60 grand. And everyone in the room was like, oh, now everything's like a hundred thousand and it's like seven cap. And I said, right. And in 10 years from now, we are going to be saying eight years from now, we're going to be like, oh, you used to be able to get a house here in Indianapolis for a hundred thousand that's seven cap. That, you know, now those houses are, you know, six cap and 200,000. And it's the whole best, best time to plant a tree. Yeah. I, um, every month I meet people that are like, man, I would have, I, I wish I would have met you eight years ago. And I'm like, right, but you're here now. And now is the time to take action and don't have regrets about, you know, diversifying into real estate, adding more rentals and, and potentially learning a strategy that can be a side gig for you. Because we've had some, you know, we had six doctors at our summit and of course they were there for passive cash flow properties. But I would say five of the six went away saying, you know, I'm going to dabble in this. I got, I do have more time than I thought. On Saturdays, I'm going to do mobile home or I'm going to do an Airbnb because there's tax benefits and other reasons that they wanted to get into it. So that's the big thing is, is um, you know, move forward on your education, take action. You know that you're interested in it for a reason and stop procrastinating because eight years can, can happen really quick. Absolutely. Now, if somebody wants to get a hold of you, Aaron, how do they get a hold of uh, Aaron Adams out there on the Internet? So, um, uh, a Adams at infinity investing.com. You can email me, uh, or you can go to Alpine capital solutions, Alpine CS.com. My, my emails on there, my cell phones on there, uh, ping me, uh, love to hear from you. You know, Toby and I host a, a, a Saturday free, uh, get started in, in real estate investing, uh, training. would love to have you join us there as well. Uh, you can go to infinity investing.com and just get a free zoom link. We're actually, uh, we record those every three. I'm excited next year because I'm going to be flying down to Vegas, which I love Vegas. And Toby and I are going to record those together in the studio. That's going to be cool, man. Yeah, uh, we like it. Yeah. yeah. We like, it. like we, we like investors. We like helping investors. And uh, more importantly, it's it helps you do the things that you care about. In fact, we'll leave with this, Aaron. You've been very, very successful as a real estate investor. But what's your favorite thing to be doing? Coaching. So I got my, my volleyball, I got a match tonight. And, you know, Toby taught me how to set up a nonprofit. And it's just been, you know, my, my oldest son went off to college. And I'm like, what am I going to do? Because I don't want to work more. And now I'm like, yeah, I'm 49. It's time to start giving back. And I literally have put $2 million in this 501c3 that Anderson set up for me. Uh, my wife says that we're, we're now a YMCA because I've built a, a commercial pool and I'm building a three gym facility and I'm coaching. And, you know, it's it's so great to have money to pay it forward. And youth sports was why I got into high school teaching. And now, 22 years later, uh, I'm, I'm having visions of building a $5 million community center and putting the name of the nonprofit on there. And 
And that's what this is really about. It's like, it's like real estate and the money is the black and white lines that, that mm-hmm. make your picture. And then the color that you fill it in with is your give back. And, and Toby and I, that's one thing that we have in common. We're both so passionate about our nonprofits and, and that charitable giving component. I believe in tithing and I think everyone should tithe either to a faith-based institution or a, or, or a, or a nonprofit. And so that's been just, that's been, I, I'm like, you know, more stress today about uh, this volleyball match that we had to clinch uh, the league title tonight than I am about uh, any of my deals right now. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 you, you took a team that w- wasn't very good, right? Like you took a, you have a pretty young team and you took them right to the championship, right? I have three sophomores. They were 0 and 8 last year. They had zero wins and eight losses in league. Uh, we're 8 and 1 going into our last match tonight. So uh, they're good. second, fifth in the state of Idaho and and we have a legitimate shot to win state with three sophomores. So I'm, I'm just so, I haven't been having so much fun. That's what it's all about guys. So you got to go do the investing stuff so you can, uh, so you can go goof off. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah. That's what it is. You Keep need the money. To, yeah. You just need the money to fund your passion, your buzz and your give back. And that's, you know, that's something we meet. I meet Anderson clients all the time and they don't want money for them. They're good. They want money for someone or some cause that they want to fund and pay for and pay it forward. And that's, that's a really cool thing. Yeah, making money is cool, but making a difference is even better. We'll leave it at that. Thanks, Aaron, for coming on. I really enjoyed having you. Yep, always, always a pleasure to chat. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Show notes for links to everything mentioned in this episode can be found on our website at andersonadvisors.com slash podcast. Be sure you subscribe to our podcast. And if you are already a subscriber, please provide us a review of what you thought of this episode. 